0: Welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron, the online pastor here, and whether you stumbled across us on Facebook or YouTube or a link to this service was sent from a friend or family member, we're glad you're joining us today. Here at New City, we wanna be an easy place for you to connect, to feel a part of our church and to find community. If you'd like to take a step toward connection with us, we wanna make it super simple. You can go to the link below, newcity.us slash connect and fill that form out. I'll be in touch with you this week through an email and together we'll figure out the best next steps for you. I'd also love an opportunity to pray for each of you. I know that many of you are walking through hard seasons or tough decisions alone and we wanna come alongside you in those moments. We put together a simple prayer request form at newcity.us slash prayer and we'd love the opportunity to pray with you and for you. Finally, know that your generosity to the work and ministry of New City Church makes all of this possible. God calls his people to be good stewards of the resources he has trusted to us. And if you're currently partnering with us in ministry, we wanna say thank you. If you'd like to partner financially with us, you can do so by going to newcity.us slash give. I'm so excited about the service today. We kick off a brand new sermon series in a few minutes. And right now we have an opportunity to sing praises to God for who he is and what he's done so let's worship him together
1: well good morning church new city online we are so glad that you guys are here you're here with us joining online and we can't wait to worship with you so come on
2: worthy of every song we could ever sing. worthy of all the praise we We live for you Build.
1: Jesus, thank you so much that you are my cornerstone, God. This is the truth that we get to declare this morning. This is my truth that I get to declare, to claim to, and to hope in, God. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ in your righteousness, God. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us this space, this room, and our family watching online, on the other side of that screen. God be with us as we listen to your message, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Today we kick off our brand new sermon series, Stories Jesus Told. These sermons will be walking through many of the parables Jesus taught, and I fully believe they'll give you a new perspective on some familiar passages. Up first today is the parable of salt and light from Matthew chapter 5. So as you have time, go ahead and turn there in your Bible or open it up on the New City app. Now here's Chris with part 1.
1: This story Jesus told comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? If you make it salty again, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, a steady lamp is placed on each stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father.
3: When I was a kid, it was a big deal for us to go to the mall. I grew up in Charlotte, so we would go to South Park Mall, which looked very different then than it does now. And there was a store called Woolworth. Some of you may remember it. Um, It was at the mall and it was a big deal to go in and to walk the aisles and I collected baseball cards. I loved baseball cards. Some of you may have collected baseball cards. And on this one trip to the mall uh, at Woolworths, I did something that I still regret to this day. I took a pack of baseball cards from Woolworths. And on the ride home in the station wagon, I was always in the back, I have two sisters, I have a twin and an older sister. So I was in the, always relegated to the back of the station wagon. I opened up my pack of stolen baseball cards. I ate the bubble gum, went through the cards. There weren't really any good cards in there. And I also experienced a huge amount of guilt, like immediate conviction for what I had done. And I remember thinking, I should, I should return this. I should, I should give this back. But you know, you, you can't put baseball cards back in an opened pack, you can't. I'd already eaten the bubble gum. So I had to, to live with that. And when we went back to the mall, I thought, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some of my money and I'm gonna overpay for something so I can pay back to the store without telling them that I took the baseball card. So that's what I did. We went to the mall, I took extra money, I bought something and I gave the clerk more money to pay for the cards that I had stolen. But guess what they did? They gave me the money back. And they said, you overpaid. So I had to put the money back in my pocket and continue to live with the guilt of taking the baseball cards. But it got even worse because the store Woolworths went out of business. And I thought as a kid, did I do that? Did I put this store out of business with stealing the baseball cards? And I'd lived with that. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Do you relate to that feeling, that conviction of like, oh, I wish I could undo this. I wish I could take it back. And maybe you couldn't. Maybe you think about something you did as a kid that you wish you could go back and redo, but but you can't. I wonder which is more impactful to you, to hear a story like that and maybe relate to your own story, or for me to just say, you know, it's a bad idea to take things from other people. Which one do you think has more effect? Telling a story, steps towards you and your reality. And it helps you to, in this instance, to step towards me and to know a little bit more about who I am. And Jesus told stories in the scripture. And the reason why he told stories, the reason why he told parables is to enter into our reality so that we could end with his reality. We could see things from his perspective. Stories are like a bridge. They step towards us in order for us to step towards God. And that's the reason why Jesus told parables. He he wanted to reveal his kingdom truth to people and put it in forms and in fashions that they could understand. And at the same time, these simple stories, like the one that I opened up with, helped to to conceal the truth from people whose hearts were hardened. It sort of hid the truth in plain sight. So it, it not only stepped towards people and revealed, but it also concealed. Jesus talks about why he tells stories in Matthew chapter 13. Let me read it to you. His disciples have heard one of his, his stories, one of his parables, and they ask him, why do you do this? Why do you tell these stories? And this is what Jesus said. Then the disciples came to him. They asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answers them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given he continues by saying, for the one who has, more is gonna be given to him and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. So Jesus is saying, the one who, who desires the kingdom of God, more is gonna be added to him. The one who wants to know the heart of Jesus, more is gonna be added to him through these stories. But the one who doesn't want to know Jesus, doesn't really want to know his heart, they're, 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 they're gonna be a concealer." The stories, it's weird to think about this, but this, this, the stories that Jesus told these parables actually hid the truth of the kingdom in plain sight. So let's go back to my opening story about stealing baseball cards, right? And by the way, if you work for Woolworths or you did, come find me. I, wanna, I have a couple dollars I wanna give you. Uh, the, 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 that story, if you wanted to know me, like if you wanna know Chris a little bit more, you could, you could think about that story and have an insight more into my heart. And, and who I am and, and some of my brokenness and some of the things that make me who I am. But if you, if you really don't want to know me um, and you're really not interested, that, the, the truth of who I am in the heart could be hidden sort of in plain sight with those stories. And that's the same thing that happened with the parables. So we're starting a series today that I'm really excited about, about the stories Jesus told. And we're going to look specifically at the gospel of Matthew. And in the gospel of Matthew, 22 of these parables, these stories that Jesus told are found. And the first one is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you're on the New City app, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and pull it open to Matthew chapter 5. And while you're going to this very first story that Jesus told, let me tell you a little bit more about parables. Because we, we talked about why Jesus told them to step into our reality so that you can know his reality but let me tell you a little bit more about what a parable is as you find this first one in Matthew chapter five. Let's start with a a Jewish understanding of a parable. So Jesus growing up in a Jewish home and as a Jew himself would have been very familiar with parables because parables are all throughout the Hebrew Testament as well. Maybe the most well-known parable in the Hebrew context is the parable of the prophet Nathan who comes to King David. Do you remember this? And he's confronting David about his sin. And instead of coming to him and saying, you know, you really shouldn't commit adultery, he tells him a story. And he tells him a story that he would be very familiar with about a shepherd and about a, uh, about a sheep. And, and by the end of the story, David's heart is what? It's broken, it's softened. And then Nathan comes in and says, and that's you. And God's truth is revealed to David in that moment. Now, again, he could have come in and just said directly, you shouldn't do this but instead he meets him where he is in his story because David was a shepherd and he would have understood everything that Nathan was talking about. And in the midst of that, telling the story that that was relatable to him, then he comes in with God's story and God's truth. And that's the same with parables. Jesus would have understood that. His audience would have understood that. Let's talk about a Greek understanding because actually the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. So as the New Testament is translated into the Greek language, uh, the Greek speaking audience would have understood this as well. A short pithy story that sort of casts truth alongside reality. That's what the word parable literally means to cast truth alongside of. So the idea is this, that you're telling a story that would have been very relatable to the audience. And while you're telling the story, you're also casting truth alongside that narrative. So I'm, I'm building a bridge towards your heart and your understanding. And as I'm building that bridge in a story that you could relate to and understand in a language that you could understand and relate to, I'm, I'm telling you about the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus did so brilliantly, that the kingdom of God was told in stories of everyday life. So we're going to read 22 of them in the book of Matthew, these everyday stories that were cast alongside of everyday reality, but bringing us into the reality of God. And in this way, this is so cool. In this way, Jesus was really incarnating the truth to people through storytelling, So we know that Jesus was the word, the truth made flesh, that he was God incarnate, that that God put on flesh and became like us to reveal himself to us in order to invite us to know him and to walk with him. Remember, revelation is always an invitation to know God more, to experience him more, to walk with him. And that's the same thing with the parables. They're these revelations that are very understandable in our reality and they incarnate truth. They put truth in bite-sized packages so that we can understand it, that we can relate to it and know more of the heart of God. And so in this first parable, in this first story that Jesus cast alongside of a relatable reality to the audience, he's gonna move here in the Sermon on the Mount, which takes place from Matthew chapter five to Matthew chapter seven. So in the context of this first parable, he's preaching a sermon and after the Beatitudes, which really helped to define what is a follower of Jesus. Now he's gonna switch here in this passage to talking about, and what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this world? How do you live out these kingdom values and principles? And guess what? He starts with a parable. He starts with a story that meets them where they are and brings them into the kingdom reality of how they're meant to live. So Matthew chapter five, this very first parable, salt and light, verses 13 through 16. Follow along with me. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house in the same way do you hear the parable there here's the here's the story now i'm going to give you the kingdom virtue that comes right alongside the story verse 16 in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven now n- numerous popular expositions on this passage sort of talk about salt and light here in this first parable as being flavor and color and that's close But Jesus's audience here in the the first century uh, New Testament story here is gonna understand salt and light more specifically as preservative and as illumination. So salt is a preservative and the number one function of light in the first century was to illuminate. So in that way, we arrest corruption in this world by being salt. We We, another way to say it, we delay the decay of this broken world as salt because that's what salt was. It was a preservative. But we also illuminate the darkness. We bring light into a dark and broken world. And that's what Jesus was communicating with this very first story. Let's go a little bit further here, Uh, starting with salt in verse 13. Salt was, was gathered primarily in that time and in that region where Jesus told the parable from the Dead Sea. And they would go into the marshes of the Dead Sea and they would collect the salt. And oftentimes, salt that had been out in the sea itself would lose its saltiness. And so salt that had lost its saltiness, would, would, there, only, there was only one use for it. They would cast it on their rooftops there. So it would seal leaks and prevent the water from coming down into their homes. That was the only use for salt that had lost its saltiness. So when Jesus says salt that's lost its saltiness can't be restored, the only use for it is to cast it out and to be trampled underfoot. The audience would have immediately understood what Jesus was saying. So more than just sort of a, a factoid about uh, the parable itself, the reason why I teach that is because it, it illustrates the power of the parable, that the story itself was so relatable to the audience. It, it again, it bridged from God's reality to their reality. They, all of them had probably taken salt that had lost its saltiness and cast it on their rooftops. And so when they would gather together with parties or for dinners, they would meet on rooftops because it was there they could catch the breeze from the sea and that's where they would gather. So when people would go up on the rooftops, when they had cast that salt to fill in the, the cracks on the roof to prevent leaks, guess what they were doing? They were trampling underfoot that salt that had lost its saltiness. And in this moment, the audience would have gone, oh, we get it. If, if, if we're not deployed, if we don't come out of the salt shaker, so to speak, and, and, and we're not doing our job as preservatives in this world that is decaying, the only thing that's left for us is to be trampled underfoot, just like the salt that we throw out that has lost its saltiness now. C.S. Lewis said it this way about, about us being salt as Christ followers. He said, salt, as delaying the decay, think about it this way, is like it's like holding back the evil and the darkness of this world. It's like a speed bump in your neighborhood, right? It's not gonna stop the car from going, but it's gonna delay it. It's gonna slow it down. And that's our job as Christ followers. We, we can't stop this world in and of itself from passing away. We know it w- will one day as a broken, fallen world, but we delay the decay we hold back uh, the evil in this world as preservative. And that's what salt was meant to do. When it was properly deployed, it would delay the decay of food and of other things that were valuable. And that's the same job that we have in this world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. That's what Jesus was saying. So we bring goodness and preservation to a world that seems to know nothing but evil and darkness but we do so not merely to preserve that world that one day will pass away. We do so, watch this, we hold back as Saul in order to point as light. We hold back, we delay the decay of this world and the brokenness and evil of this world in order to point to a world that is to come that will never pass away in the kingdom of God. And that's our job as light. Let's look at verse 14. The word you there, both 13 and 14 in the parable, the verses here start with the word you and it's in the emphatic tense. Uh, Jesus is saying, it's you as disciples. It's you as followers of Jesus. Remember in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the primary audience were the 12. It was his disciples. The crowd was listening, okay? They gleaned from it as well. But the primary audience for Jesus was to teach his disciples. And he says, you, you guys, you're holding back evil as light, but you're also pointing the, or as salt, but you're also pointing the way as light. Interestingly, because there, you know, this was a primarily Jewish audience, the Jews saw themselves as the light of the world, Paul says this in Romans chapter two, they saw themselves as a light, but Jesus is now telling his disciples, you're the light. Jesus is getting ready to stand up and say, I'm the light of the world. Uh, This reminds us of what uh, John said about him in his gospel in John chapter one, verses four and five, that in Jesus was life. And that life was the what? It was the light of all mankind. He said in verse five, John one, the light shines in the darkness, Remember, that's the primary job of the light to illuminate darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So now Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are now meant to go and, and, and illuminate the way and be little lights in this world to show the world that there is another world to come. So we hold back the decay and the evil of this world in order to point to a world that is to come, to a kingdom that will never end. And so being light in this way, the way that Jesus describes it to his disciples, to those of us who are Christ followers, really has two functions. And think about it this way. And if you're taking notes, maybe you just wanna jot these down. What Jesus was saying by way of illuminating the way was you're, you're really a flashlight, right? Um, you're, you're, you're really a, a lantern in his, in his day. You're a lamp that immediately lights the path for someone else. Um, every night we walk our dog Doug, and usually one of the kids is with me. And if it's Marin, my middle, uh, they always hold the flashlight. And typically Marin is always just in conversation with me, and the and the light always comes to my face. She's holding the flashlight, and invariably it always by the end, she's pointing it right in my eyes. And I always have to say, Marin, babe, put the light in front of us so that we can see where we're walking. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying. The the light is meant to uh, illuminate the path for people into the kingdom of God, to show them the way. And it's a good illustration, right? Because light isn't meant to just shine in someone's eyes and blind them. It's meant to go in front of them so they can see where they're walking. That's what Jesus says, that you let your good work shine, what? In someone's face? No, before other people so that they bring glory to your father who is in heaven. So the first function is a flashlight, but here's the other way to think about it. As light in this world, we're also a lighthouse. We're a, we're a beacon. Uh, Jesus says it this way in the passage, you're a, you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So in, in, right in that re- region where Jesus was, was, was teaching on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, most of the cities were built on limestone and, and they were elevated. So at night when they would light a lamp in the house, right from miles away, you could see that city up on a hill. And Jesus says, that's what we're meant to be as Christ followers. That the world that is living and walking in darkness can look up and they can see a city on a hill as Christ's followers, the church of Jesus lighting the way towards the kingdom of God. So you're, you're, you're pointing your flashlight in front of people so that they don't stumble and they can walk in this dark, dark world towards Jesus and the kingdom of God. But we're also collectively meant to be a lighthouse so that people can orient themselves in this broken, dark world towards truth. Jesus says, let your good works, the way you live your life. Remember, he's transitioning from what does it mean to be a disciple to how do you live that, that, that out? And he says, let your good works, let them shine before other people so that they bring glory to your father who is in heaven. And this is something for us to pay attention to. And verse 13, Jesus talks about, you know, you're the salt of the earth. And, and verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. But now the parable, the story is going to end with the word heaven. So you see what he did? He started in our reality, the the world, this earth, but he ends in in heaven. He ends from his perspective and his reality in a kingdom that is to come. And that's what a parable really is. It starts where we are in our world and it brings us into God's world. That's exactly what happens here. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, A community of Jesus, a church, a community of Jesus, which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Jesus says it this way. You don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. No, you put it right in the center of the house so it illuminates the entire house. You don't cover up the city on the hill. You let it shine so that people can see it and orient their lives and step towards the kingdom of God and its truth. That's what Jesus is doing here. And so in this first story that Jesus told, these two metaphors of salt and light, they actually complement one another. They're not separate. They, They balance each other. Remember, salt is holding back. But while we're holding back, we're pointing to the truth that is to come, the world that is to come, the reality of heaven itself, and a relationship that we can now have with God through Jesus, who came to us, incarnated the truth to us to explain himself, to reveal himself to us. We're holding back and we're pointing at the same time. Salt is hidden. I love this. Salt is hidden. If it's really doing its work, if it's really deployed, it's hidden. It works secretly and it works slowly, but light is seen right it works openly and it works quickly as soon as we light a lamp as soon as we turn on a flashlight as soon as we the, the lighthouse fires up we, it works immediately and the same is true for us our influence of our character should be quiet in this world and penetrating it should delay the decay but the influence of our conduct should be obvious and it should be attractive it should be attractive to a world that is living in darkness that's living in brokenness, that when they see our light, that, that they're attracted to it because it's different from this world and it points them towards truth. Action, at the end of the parable, action is always the appropriate response. And at the end of this parable, Jesus is wanting his disciples to go and to live this out. He's saying, here's your marching orders, go be salt, go be light, be a preservative, delay the decay, but point to the world that is to come, point to heaven and the reality of heaven. John Stott uh, talks about this first parable, this first uh, um, story that Jesus told. and And he talks about it in this way. He says, you know, as a critique, he says, many Christians, they hear this parable in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, And they stop at the distinctiveness that's indicated in the story that Jesus told. So in other words, in order for salt and light to work, they have to be distinct from the environment that they're employed in, right? Um, But but he says we shouldn't stop at the distinctiveness. Yes, we're different from this world. But actually, salt and light and the understanding of the story Jesus told should move us to be influencers, to want to engage the world. We're, we're not of the world, but we are in the world as influencers for the kingdom. So we've gotta move from beyond this survival mentality in the world to an influencer mentality of this world. So uh, we, we, we do away, right, with just bleak pessimism, but we, but we also do away with blind optimism. And instead, this parable, this story that Jesus told, it, it calls us right over the bridge from our reality to God's reality into a sober mindedness about the brokenness and darkness of this world that is real. But it also calls us to an unrelenting hopefulness in the reality of the kingdom to come through the power of Christ. And so Stott gives like four ways that maybe we could live out salt and light in this world. And as we think about um, going into our worlds, into office spaces, uh, into classrooms, into our neighborhood, wherever that might be for you as salt and light, he gives some ideas about the power of being salt and light as followers of Jesus and and how we can employ that in our worlds because that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. And the first thing he says is the power of prayer. That's, that's where he starts. And that's where we should start. Maybe, maybe the primary way that we can undermine the workings of this world, the darkness and brokenness of this world is through the power of prayer. And as salt and light, we delay the decay of this world by, by, by praying for the world and, and praying for good in this world, even knowing that it's passing away. But we also remember, we point to the kingdom to come. And we ask that people would meet Jesus. And first and foremost, more than our personal activism, we activate ourselves in prayer and orient our hearts to God in that way. So there's power in prayer. And, and maybe that's what God's calling you to do in applying this message today. But there's also power in truth. You know, we, we have God's truth. Even the stories that we're getting ready to walk through together over the next several months, there's so much truth in them. And the truth, remember, always does what? It sets us free. And so there's power in truth and just living that out and speaking that truth in a, in a dark world that is decaying. And so Stott says, there's, there's power in not only uh, taking the truth into your heart, but allowing that truth to be seen to other people and speaking that truth over other people. So maybe that's the way God's calling you to live a salt and light by speaking truth uh, in grace to other people, because it sets us free. There's power in example, the third thing just our everyday example. Again, in the classroom, if you're a nurse, uh, in the hospital, um, in your business, maybe you run a shop, um, you know, maybe it's just where you live in your neighborhood as a Christian family on the block that you are exemplifying what it means to be a Christ follower. And maybe you're that lighthouse that other people need to see and begin to orient their uh, their life towards. And then the final thing, just by way of application, because remember, action is always the appropriate response to the stories that Jesus told, is the power of biblical community. And you know, we talk about around here that, that community is our design, that we were wired up to live life with one another. And so the kingdom of God and the way that, that Jesus lived and the way he modeled for us was never through this powerful organization that was bringing about legislative reforms it was always about a small group, a remnant that was subverting the ways of the world through the power of salt and light. And maybe just maybe that's what God is calling us to do, that through the power of community, stepping in with other people to love God and to love one another, and and to in small but significant ways, be salt and light to your world today. The salt and light parable, this very first story that Jesus told is a vision for transformation through the power of Christ, through each of us, through the power of Christ as salt and light into this world. And remember, remember bottom line today, the stories that Jesus told, they always start with our reality so that we end with God's reality they, they bridge to our world. They meet us right where we are, just like Jesus did in the power of the gospel. It meets us right where we are, not to leave us there, but to bridge us and to call us into God's reality, his perspective and his truth. To him alone be the glory today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for stepping towards us in the stories that you told Thank you for meeting us as we are in our world with these stories and parables that we can understand and access so that we can move towards you and your heart and your reality. And so would you give us today, Jesus, the the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us from your word, from this, this story, this truth about salt and light and what you're calling us to as your followers? And would you also and equally give us faith and courage to take that wisdom and to live it out, uh, to delay the decay of this world and to point to the reality of the world to come, the hope that we have in you, Jesus, that will never pass away. We pray that in your mighty name today. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City. If you would, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, New City.